This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, back once again and wishing you a very happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Traditionally, a pretty big week in wrestling as it is uh, this year. Uh, We're just coming off of a really big weekend with two really hot shows, uh, the NXT TakeOver show Saturday night featuring War Games, and then Sunday night, obviously, the Survivor Series, one of the big pay-per-views of the year for WWE. And even more news on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. You know how it is these days. Uh, and even uh, this coming Sunday, I guess, they've got the uh, Starcade Network special. Uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, all of these, or most of these at least, with uh, Brian Solomon, PWI contributing writer and uh, actually a former editor of WWE Magazine. Uh, he wears many hats, uh, has written a few books on wrestling as well, and has got one in the works. We'll talk about uh, all of that. And uh, also a a deeper dive into kind of the state of pro wrestling and uh, not necessarily talking about what wrestlers or wrestling promotions even are doing well and which aren't, but actually talking about uh, the the actual wrestling itself, the evolution of it in 2019. Uh, Frankly, some of what I saw over the weekend, uh, certainly at uh, War Games with with some of the insane uh, moves I saw. And uh, going back to uh, my discussion a couple weeks ago about the AEW pay-per-view and the insane match between Jon Moxley and Kenny Omega, uh, it got Brian and I to talking about the state of pro wrestling and whether this path of uh, can you top this kind of wrestling is sustainable and uh, whether it can be reversed and also maybe talking a bit about who out there, both in terms of wrestlers and wrestling companies, are maybe presenting an alternative uh, approach uh, to to presenting pro wrestling. So uh, a fun conversation uh, with Brian, a super smart guy and, and like-minded. So um, had a good time talking to him, catching up with him once again. Then later on in the program, you can hear my conversation with former Impact Knockouts champion ODB. Uh, ODB's been in the news as of late. Uh, some of it really unfortunate news. After kind of leaving her full-time wrestling career behind, she went and started up a food truck that was doing really well. And wouldn't you know it, the thing burned down uh, a couple of months ago. So she's been out there trying to raise uh, some money to get it back up and running and uh, got uh, some really uh, big help out recently from her former employer, Impact Wrestling, uh, which here in my area, New York, held a pair of TV tapings where the uh, the proceeds of, I think, the first night uh, went all to her food truck business. So a real generous thing they did. We talked a bit about that and just kind of her thoughts on uh, the state of women's wrestling, you know, really in some ways one of the pioneers uh, of women's wrestling in terms of uh, what women re- wrestlers could look like. Talk like, wrestle like, uh, I think uh, very much she was ahead of the curve. And uh, we talk a bit about that, her thoughts on uh, Ronda Rousey and um, Tessa Blanchard, uh, probably the the hottest star right now in Impact Wrestling. So uh, fun catching up with ODB. You'll hear uh, 
from her in just a moment. Uh, right now, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It's got another uh, potentially future legend in women's wrestling on the cover. It is uh, the Raw Women's Champion, Becky Lynch, and she topped this year's PWI Women's 100 list uh, put together by the now former PWI writer, uh, Dan Murphy. Still miss you, Dan. Um, so that's uh, in this issue, uh, as is Dan's interview with Chris Jericho. I've got a feature in here looking at uh, the AEW versus WWE war, which certainly has has uh, been raging even hotter since I wrote this. Uh, and I think it, it was a lot of the impetus for what we saw over uh, the weekend with NXT being uh, showcased in such a strong light. There's a lot more in this issue, including the ballot for the year-end awards. And something I haven't talked about too much in this podcast is the decade-end awards. Yes, uh, we're coming up at the end of uh, a decade here, and uh, we put out to our readers uh, to vote on not just who were the best uh, wrestlers, performers, matches of 2019, but of the entire decade. And we'll have that coming up uh, in a future issue. If you want to cast your vote, uh, pick up the latest issue. It is the February 2020 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated with the ballot inside. Uh, again, all the usual columns, all the usual features. Another fantastic issue. It is our busy season. And if you don't want to miss any issues, you should go to pwi-online.com and subscribe either to the print or the digital edition. The digital edition gets to you much faster. It's also a little bit cheaper. Uh, but both ways are a deep, deep discount over the cover price, about half off the cover price. You can't beat that. Uh, we're in this holiday season. What better gift for the wrestling fan in your life than a subscription to the oldest wrestling magazine and the best wrestling magazine uh, around? We are celebrating our 40th birthday. I guess we're coming up on our 41st now, heading into 2020. Uh, still going really strong, and you don't want to miss a single issue. So the thing, again, to do is go to pwi-online.com and subscribe while you're there. Uh, why don't you drop by prowrestlingtees.com and buy the official PWI t-shirt. Another fantastic uh, Christmas gift, holiday gift for your uh, loved one, the wrestling fan in your life. And as always, please follow us on social media, media uh, at official PWI on Twitter. I was on uh, Sunday night, as I usually am during the pay-per-views, live tweeting Survivor Series. Didn't get into any huge fights this time around, so that was good. Um, and you could also follow us on Instagram, also at official PWI. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, <clears throat> please send us an email here at uh, pwipodcast at outlook.com or uh, for all your other PWI questions, concerns, needs, uh, you can send an email to pwi at kappapublishing.com. Lastly, I'll ask you to please subscribe to this podcast uh, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and kindly leave us. Uh, I keep on saying us. It's down to me these days. I'm sure I'll have a, uh, a co-host uh, before long, but I'm actually having a lot of fun uh, rotating in different writers um, here. But in any event, uh, please give us a good review. We sincerely appreciate it. All right. Uh, right now, joined by PWI contributing writer uh, Brian Solomon. How are you, Brian? It's been a while since we've had you on the show. I'm doing okay, Al. Thanks for having me on. Yes. Uh, a little uh, background on Brian. Brian... Um, was an editor for WWE's magazines for uh, a number of years, uh, and you also wrote a book, right? Pro Wrestling FAQs, Frequently Asked Questions, a couple years back. I did, yeah, and I did uh, WWE Legends, and I've actually right. got another one coming out soon. 
Great, great. You know, now in, in our 40th anniversary of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, we've been trying to have uh, different writers on and uh, find out a little bit more about them and how they came uh, to Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Your story is, is particularly interesting because for a number of years, you were essentially the competition, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we were the ones that uh, kicked uh, Bill After and the rest of the PWI photographers out of <laughs> ringside back in the day. Although I think that everybody's mended fences since those days. But, uh, yeah, I guess you could look at it that way. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, when McMahon hired Bischoff. You now work for uh, <laughs> right. you know, right. Maybe one day I'll put you in the dumpster or something. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Great. I look forward to it. Anyhow, we, we've got uh, a lot to talk about. It is uh, traditionally a very busy week in wrestling, Thanksgiving a week, and, and we're coming off of uh, a couple of real big shows over the weekend with NXT TakeOver and Survivor Series. we got Starcade coming up on this weekend, which really isn't a thing anymore, but, but certainly was a thing uh, back in the day. Uh, what, what, what's kind of your favorite uh, Thanksgiving wrestling memory? Oh, boy. Well, I, I guess I'm going to have to be kind of boring about it and say that it's Survivor Series related because, you know, I grew up uh, watching WWF during the Hogan era in the 80s. That, and that was really kind of like when I first discovered it. So just, you know, I, first of all, I was never allowed to watch the Survivor Series when it was on Thanksgiving because my family was you know really strict about, you know, no TV and it's a family day and all that. So I was super psyched when they moved it to the night before Thanksgiving. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, sure, yeah. Because that means I got to actually see it. The highlight for me, because I was a big Hogan hater as a kid, I have to say. I mean, just the character, you know, but but I, I always wanted him to lose, and I got sick of seeing him winning all the time, and when The Undertaker beat him at Survivor ah, Series in 91, I just really popped for that, and the funny thing was you actually heard the crowd. I think they, they they sweetened it up later, but you could hear the crowd cheering for The Undertaker, and it was kind of a surreal uh, moment. Yeah, I, I get super nostalgic uh, for that stuff, too, especially this time of year. We, we host Thanksgiving, and so uh, I usually take a day off of work on Wednesday, and I spend a day cleaning the house, and I always have old Survivor Series on uh, in the background. Uh, just kind of, it just gets you uh, in the mood. And I don't think that WWE does nearly enough to play on some of that tradition, uh, and not just tradition, but nostalgia. I mean, they talk about it being the uh, the second oldest pay-per-view behind only WrestleMania, and WWE has shown that they're all four taking advantage of the, you know, how many times this year have they broken out, like every former WWE legend to show up on Raw or SmackDown. And to me, Survivor Series is like, the perfect place to do some of that stuff. I think like they should totally brand it as kind of the retro pay-per-view uh, with the old ring and old graphics and stuff. And because of that format, the elimination format, they can even go and do uh, some legends matches, have like a four-on-four uh, legends elimination match uh, where nobody would have to be in the ring all that long. Uh, so I don't know. I think it's kind of a missed opportunity there. Yeah, I, I think a Legends Elimination match would be an incredible idea, especially since now that they're on the network and their pay-per-views are like 13 hours long, you'd think that they, yeah. they could fit something like that in there for sure. I mean, I, I think part of it was, in terms of like getting away from the nostalgia, was when they moved it away from Thanksgiving, which I think, I 
think that was maybe in the late 90s, maybe the Attitude Era. I'm not totally sure, but I think... Well, it was when they, they started moving everything to Sundays and all pay-per-views. Right. They just wanted to have it be consistently like all pay-per-views on Sunday. Probably a business decision that they figured they'd get more buys. And, I mean, they were probably right. But it did take away the Thanksgiving like connection that Survivor Series had. Yeah. I used to see some of these, and it was I'd, I'd go over to my neighbor's house, and in retrospect, what a I mean, I, I guess it was a different error, but to think that, you know, families would drop everything and, and you'd have folks over and you'd have the whole turkey dinner and then just drop everything to watch, you know, wrestling for, for four hours. Well, um, the the funny thing about that is, and I, I'm sure you know, I mean, like even well before Survivor Series and not so much in the WWF, but in a lot of other territories, especially in the South, uh, Thanksgiving night was always uh a wrestling tradition. I mean, that's how Starcade started. But I mean, even for decades before that, the Greensboro Coliseum, the Atlanta Omni, other places, they would always have a Thanksgiving night card and they, and they did huge business. I can't imagine like going out to see wrestling. I mean, like my Italian grandmother would probably hit me in the back of the head with a spoon if I even <laughs> suggested it. But I yeah. guess a lot of people did. Yeah. And, and I don't know that Thanksgiving Eve was any better. I mean, I, you've got everybody in the middle of preparing dinner and traveling and all that. <laughs> Sure. Drop all that to, to go see uh, the Hulkamaniacs versus whatever it was, the Million Dollar Team. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Yeah, but those are good times. Anyhow, so we're just coming off of a, a, a Survivor Series. I thought it was a, a really good show, all things considered. Uh, I think the big takeaway was that it was um, kind of the coming out party for NXT. They had a sensational show uh, Saturday night with the, uh, the War Games takeover. And then the very next night, most of the same people back to work and uh, at at the, the first Survivor Series featuring, featuring NXT talent. And uh, I had some concern about how it would play out. I mean, the, the three-way elimination format and all that. But I think uh, they did an admirable job of pulling it off, by and large. And NXT was really made to shine. Uh, they won four matches on Survivor Series, uh, two and Raw just one. And beyond that, I think the the talent was put over strong, uh, and and not just in in winning matches, but the way they showcase stars like um, uh, Keith Lee oh, yeah. and Rhea Ripley. Um, they really and and on on a big big stage. And you think about it, they'd never worked on on WWE pay per view before. They barely even been on main uh, WWE TV main roster of WWE outside the last few weeks when they've been running this invasion angle. So they were put over. Really you got to think that's got something or everything to do with AEW and this Wednesday Night War, uh, but I don't hear a whole lot of people complaining about it. No, and, and like you said, this really was kind of like the coronation, you know, for NXT. A lot, I wasn't really sure how it was going to play out. I know a lot of people were doubtful and thinking that NXT was just going to get totally jobbed out uh, in the end of all this, but it really turned out to be quite the opposite. I know, like, I was reading in certain places, people kind of ha- taking the attitude of, well, you know, Vince McMahon does not like to lose. And that's certainly true. And the, the whole thing of AEW kind of becoming the dominant show on Wednesday night, I really think this is a move to fight against that. And it's weird for me because, you know, they've, I, I, was, I was prepared to say, okay, this is crazy, but NXT is going to become their number one brand. The only thing that stops me from saying that is the fact that SmackDown is now on Fox on Fridays, and I can't imagine that they want they would want that to be considered number two. So 
you know, but in any event, either way, NXT is definitely ahead of Raw, which who in their wildest dreams could have imagined would ever happen. But that's yeah. where we're at right now. Raw is the number three brand. There's no doubt. You think so? Why, why do you say that? Oh, yeah. The, the fact is NXT is still pulling in a lot fewer viewers than Raw or SmackDown. Um, they, they're playing in, in front of smaller crowds because, at least for the moment, they're still stuck in the Performance Center. Uh, they do seem to have more buzz than, than the other two, but I don't know what that's worth. And they have a lot of positive momentum. I mean, yes, the rating of Raw, you know, they've got like 20-some-odd years behind them now, almost 30 years behind them. The momentum they've got is strong, but but the, their signal is weakening. You know, they don't have the the, the kind of buzz and the, and the cool factor. And, and you even get the sense watching the shows that, Right now, it seems to be the show that has the least of Vince McMahon's attention. That's just yeah. the feeling I get watching all three shows. So, and and it just feels like even though Raw is still got the bigger audience, I think the momentum is switching and the vibe. And if you're a if you're a, a, a nonstop fan that watches every week, the feeling you have watching it is that Raw is the number three show. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's most telling about uh, kind of the, the landscape in WWE right now is that for so long when uh, an act on NXT would really get hot and uh, you know, win the title and be, be making for a while and the thought was, well, they've kind of plateaued, they've done everything that there is to do in NXT, when are they going to get called up? And you'd get like uh, people who are really kind of eager and anxious to see their favorite NXT star called up to the main roster. And I feel like uh, all these years later, the opposite is, is true, and it feels like the worst thing that could happen to some of these NXT stars is they get called up to Raw and SmackDown, and, and part of that's just an indictment on, on how other talent that's come out of NXT has been booked on Raw and SmackDown, but it's gone so far as to, like, when you saw Kevin Owens show up on uh, TakeOver on, on Saturday, on one hand, you'd think it's a demotion, but I think everybody was happy for Kevin Owens to be... Uh, in an atmosphere where he could have the, the matches that would, would really showcase his talent and where crowds will be into him and where the booking would be strong. Uh, and unfortunately, it's not to be. He's right back on Raw. Uh, but it's, it, uh, again, kind of an indictment on, on WWE and Vince McMahon's booking that nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, but, but it's not a foregone conclusion that you want your uh, favorite NXT stars to be called up to the main roster. I think a lot of people feel like you're better off staying where you are. Yeah, I, I think that's been proven to be true. And I, I just had a conversation with someone where, you know, coming off the TakeOver show and Survivor Series, I was talking about people like um, Shayna Baszler and Rhea Ripley, especially, who I think just have incredible potential and they're great stars. And I, I almost was about to say, oh, God, and they're going to get called up to the roster and ruined like everybody else. And then yeah. I stopped myself and I said, you know what? That actually is probably not going to happen now. Like they could stay where they are and continue to be handled the right way. And I, I think that's that's great news for everybody there. I just hope eventually that their that their paychecks come to be the equivalent of that too. That would be nice. Yeah, that's a really good point because everything else is kind of moving in the right direction. I mean, I think a reason why why people wanted to see and and the NXT stars themselves wanted to graduate to the main roster was because. NXT is so much smaller, right? They were on WWE Network. They um, running really 
small house shows. Uh, but now, clearly, the plan is to grow the brand. I've got to think that sometime in the next six months, they're going to be out of the performance center and be running uh, at least small to mid-sized arenas uh, for their TV, which I think will give their TV a big boost. Uh, but yeah, you know, on, on one hand, it, it sounds like, um, you know, just a wrestling angle when you've got Triple H and the NXT talent during this whole uh, storyline talking about how NXT is the A brand. Uh, but you, you know, I don't think it's there yet, but, you're, but you got to wonder whether it's, uh, it's on pace to getting there. Sure. I mean, you know, WWE are the masters of, of envisioning something and making it a reality, you know, even if it's not. I mean, Vince was saying that WWF was, you know, the top company in America in 1984 when that probably wouldn't really be true for like another three or four years. But he made it true by by acting like it was. So everybody thought that they were doing much better than they were, even though, like, I mean, before WrestleMania one, they were on the verge of bankruptcy, you know? So like that, the, they have a history of really doing that, of, of, of creating something out of nothing. And it, they seem to be doing it again because NXT now, I mean, NXT used to be something that played to the hardcore WWE fans. You know, like you said, you could only see it if you subscribe to the network and now it's getting like this casual fan audience, you know? And I mean, I know this is kind of anecdotal, but my daughter right now is away at college, and she told me that on Wednesday nights she sees kids uh, watching NXT on, like, their phones and their laptops. And, like, that's that's pretty huge. You know, that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. And if and I imagine even more of them are watching AEW. And what you sense they're not watching is uh, Raw or SmackDown. Uh, right. And, and it's, uh, yeah, it's troubling. And uh, on the topic of Raw, so uh, last night they, they start the show with Seth Rollins uh, in the ring, and it's this kind of come-to-Jesus meeting. I think it's sort of playing on a real-life event, him being the, the locker room leader uh, with maybe a uh, misdirected uh, rah-rah speech for the, the locker room, and it was uh, his heel turn, basically. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's probably a good thing that they didn't waste a whole lot of time doing this. Uh, Seth is, is going through something similar that Roman Reigns did for a number of years where clearly the fans are rejecting him. In Roman's case, WWE, and, and to some extent with John Cena before him, they kind of fought the tide the whole way, even when there were um, a lot of signals that this might be the right time to go ahead and pull the trigger with uh, the heel turn. They didn't. It seems like they're not wasting much time with Seth. They kind of see the writing on the wall, and they're just going to go with it. Yeah, I think that Seth, I mean, this is not a, an out-on-a-limb opinion, but I think Seth Rollins is much better as a heel than a face. He just wasn't connecting as a face. I think as a heel, he was actually succeeding as a star much better than Roman Reigns ever has as a baby face. So, I mean, I, I think it was the way to go. It's just it's just what he's good at. For some reason, the, the fans just weren't buying him. He just was coming across weak, uh, whether it's the booking or just being uncomfortable being a face he just was coming across as a weak character and it's like they smelled blood in the water and i'm glad that they turned him honestly they should have turned reigns long ago i'm i'm even one of those people that think that you know years back i mean it's a, a cena heel turn 
could have been bigger than Hogan at Bash at the Beach. You know, I still think it could be if he comes back and does it. I think there is money to be made in a full-on Cena heel turn. But until they have that major league baby face that can, you know, kiss babies and sell a lot of merchandise, they're never going to turn him. Even when he's part-time, they're never going to turn him. Yeah, yeah. I, I was never in favor of the, the Cena heel turn because he always had a really strong cheering section. So I think it was, you know, they, they always tried to liken it to Roman Reigns, but uh, I thought with Roman Reigns, it was it was overwhelmingly negative. You know, yes, he had some fans, but it wasn't close to how many detractors he had. Um, and Cena's was, was truly mixed, and I think um, you could certainly argue that the, the kids and the women, and, and some of the men, myself included, um, outnumbered the, the, the booing section. Uh, with with Seth, it was interesting. I don't think it ever got that bad, but it was about to. You know, I think about on Survivor Series, they had that backstage segment where they showed him with Kevin, and the second he appeared on the screen, yeah. the fans started booing. And, and, and to me, more than anything, that was like, okay, this is real now. They need to do something about it. Um, different than, than Roman and uh, Cena, where I think – uh, in some cases, the fans are just being fickle. They're just going to reject, you know, reject those guys because they were WWE's chosen one. I think some of that was going on with Seth, but I also think him more than the other two uh, kind of made his own bet. I, I think the rejection had a lot to do with Seth sticking his foot in his mouth time and time again um, on social media, on interviews, uh, just saying things that I thought made him really kind of unlikable towing a company line that um, it just seems kind of insincere. Uh, and, and, you know, I think fans just really kind of start to question, is, is this guy a very good guy, you know? Yeah, I was surprised to see some of that myself because usually people at his level, talents at that level, they tend to stay above the fray. You know, they're not going to get, I mean, Cena just posts like funny memes on his Twitter, on his Twitter. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. like people don't, when you're at that level, you really shouldn't let that stuff affect you. You know what? Orton does that too. He does that kind of thing too, where he's yep. taking shots at, at the cons and all this kind of weird stuff. Like it's just, it's, it, they don't need to do that. And I wonder sometimes if it's, if it's work, if they're doing it on purpose, I don't know, maybe there was a mastermind plot to, to gradually turn a <laughs> heel. If I give them too much credit, I don't know, but, but uh, that was a, that was probably not something that uh, you should have been doing because even if a minority of the fans are on Twitter to see it, it kind of spreads from there. You know, like it just it, it just kind of the antipathy just spreads and it just becomes yeah. insurmountable. Yep, yep. And and to me, the death knell was the um, the fiend feud. I thought uh, there was a coming back from how badly you know he he looked, and you contrasted with Daniel Bryan on, on um, Sunday night. And that wasn't the best match in the world, but it was such a breath of fresh air just to see the scene do his creepy horror stick and Bryan to no side Because, you know, you're a wrestler, I'm a wrestler, we're here in a match, I'm going to give it my all. But, but to think that they thought it was a good idea to have Seth Rollins crying, cowering in a corner, crying over um, Seth Rollins, uh, the, the scene's antics, uh, again, I, I don't know if there was any going back after that. 
Well, it kind of reminds me to kind of go way back here of the angle where, you know, superstar Billy Graham returned to the WWF and destroyed Bob Backlund's belt and broke it into pieces. And they showed Backlund on TV crying over the belt. Yeah, and yeah, this and he was ruined. I mean, that was like 82. And for the next two years, the fans just could not wait to see him lose. And yeah, I, I think with Rollins, the thing was they made a decision that it was a bigger priority to build up the fiend and the fearsomeness of that character than it was to protect Rollins and keep him strong. And Rollins suffered because of that. Yeah, I mean, they, and I think they killed him off. They killed off his finish, the uh, the stomp. And um, after that, you know, they just moved Fiend to the other brand. And it, it really was hard. Um, it, it's hard to even conceive of how they could have just kept on going ahead with him as top baby face of, of Raw in that weekend state. So I think this was um, somewhat uh, inevitable. Um, as far as, as wrestlers who, who looked better over the weekend, going back to, to TakeOver and War Games, uh, I thought both board games matches were fantastic. Uh, I don't know which I liked more. Uh, the, the women's were shorter, and I always appreciate brevity and good matches. Um, but but certainly the, the men's was more sensational. And I want to talk a bit about that, because watching that match in particular and that insane bump at, at the end um, off the top of the cage with uh, Tomasa Kappa and Adam Cole, and Adam working the next night and having another terrific match. Uh, I mean, if anybody ever, like, earned a night off, it's, it's Adam Cole in the last couple of weeks. But the one thing watching uh, Sunday, oh, Saturday night and Sunday night also in some of those matches, and then thinking back to um, AEW a few weeks ago, their pay-per-view was, and, and we, before we get on, we, we, we touched on Jim Cornette. I think some of this relates to, to him as well and, and his thoughts is, I really do wonder if this is all sustainable, if this really is going too far, because that were three war games uh, in three years of war. Games. They first, they, they brought back the concept back in 2017 and clearly they're on this path where every year they're going to, uh, the, the, the participants involved feel a need to take it a step further. And, and um, can you top this? And so we're seeing, one death-defying bump after the other, year after year, and not just at war games, but in, in any kind of high-profile uh, about. And I think, you know, going back to what we were just talking about with NXT really being in the limelight right now, I think they, the, the wrestlers there, there feel kind of doubly motivated to do that, and with AEW nip, nipping at their heels. Uh, and you, I don't know if you do, but, but I certainly wonder whether uh, this is all good for wrestling. Because uh, I think about those old war games, and I think about, um, do you remember Sting Squadron versus uh, the Dangerous Alliance? Uh, sure. Back in 90, I loved that. 91. Game. Right. Uh, no, I think it was 92. It was early 92. 92 oh, right, right. 92. Horseman yeah. and, and uh, Eligante and Tillman and all those guys. And it was a fantastic match. And I think if you watch that match now, it'd be very pedestrian because, uh, and some of it is just evolution, I get it. But, man, I, I just, I just don't know if this is good. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, this is what wrestling becomes. And, and not just for expectations, but for the health of, of wrestlers. I mean, Adam Cole could have gotten killed doing that. that. And, and it was fantastic. I mean, I thought it, it, it looked great. Um, and I think the, the, the reaction from Britt Baker in, in the front row, and I think it was sincere. And, um, you know, I know they're all professionals, and I'm not going to profess to know the magic of what they do. But, man, I think, you know, 
if, if there was an inch off on that, it could have been just uh, really, really uh, a tragedy. Yeah, you know, Cornette had that famous expression that he said a bunch of times of like, you know, back in the day, the idea was to 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 make sure no one gets hurt and really to kind of do only enough of what you had to do and then, and everybody believed it was real and now everybody's killing each other on purpose and the whole audience thinks it's fake. And and I I think there's some truth to that yeah. because it's become this constant one-upsmanship and and look, this has been this is heavily trodden ground, but it's like the death of kayfabe and the total opening up of the business is partly the reason for this. I mean, there was always a portion of the audience that was smart, and you know, even the even the people that were totally buying into the show, you know, a lot of them in the back of their mind, they knew that you know the nature of what they were watching, but they were able to buy into it. They were able to emotionally invest because it wasn't being rubbed in their faces. This is not real. This is not real. So they were able to suspend disbelief. And when you're suspending disbelief, the guys don't have to do as much. You could be in a headlock or, or some type of hold for a couple of minutes, and the crowd's not going to start booing because they are waiting to see how the guy's going to get out of the hold. Now, when you watch it now, the whole audience is going, oh, they're just taking a break. Oh, this is boring. We're not being entertained. You know, they, they're cheering. They don't cheer for one wrestler or another anymore. They cheer for the match. They cheer to be entertained, and they're watching the match like they're judging, you know, Olympic uh, ice skating or figure skating, right? They're, yeah. they're, not, they're not rooting for one guy or another, and it's part of the reason why, like you said, the moves have been getting more and more intense. Like if you go back and watch the old war games and you're like, oh, well, that's not really as bad as I thought it was, it's because over the decades, they've been gradually saying, how do we top this? How do we top this? How do they top I mean. You know, when Harley Race passed away, um, I posted a clip of him beating Terry Funk for the NWA world title. He beat him with a suplex. He just a, <laughs> just a vertical yeah. suplex and floated over and pinned him. And people were going like, oh, this is so lame, Bob. And I'm going here, and I, and I sound like Cornette because I'm, I'm going, look, if you, really, if you really suplexed a guy like that, I bet you'd be able to pin him if it was real. Yeah. And, and that was the thinking, you know, but now that's kind of at the window and it makes all the older stuff look weak and lame to a newer fan because they don't buy it. Yeah, yeah. I think of, of what's become just sort of a, a middle-of-the-match transitional move, which is those bumps on the apron, on the hard part of the ring on the edge. Um, the worst. It's brutal. It, I mean, just to see it, it's got no give there. And again, I'm not a wrestler. I'm not going to profess to know how these guys do it. Uh, but but don't tell me that that doesn't hurt. Is it more dangerous than your your average spot? Um, and it's nothing. It's it's just a, another move. And and to the extreme, you've got um, John Moxley and Kenny Omega and what they did uh, a few weeks ago, and all the absolutely insane stuff. And for two counts. So um, yeah, I, I I just don't know. And and on one hand, again, I'm I'm not a funny daddy. I understand wrestling uh, evolved, but I do think there uh, the, the old formula can still work, and for proof of that, I, I can point to a couple things. One is Cody Rhodes and the work he's been doing um, over the last year in, in matches, and they have their share of, of big bumps and all that too, but they, they are not the that can you top this uh, style. 
They are uh, a lot uh, more heavy with storyline and emotion and uh, drama, blood, uh, for sure, uh, some of that. But Cody, some of, of, of Cody's best uh, work in a match begins before a match, weeks before a match, in, in setting the, the foundation, setting the table for what's going to happen in that ring. And so what, what you're talking about, where people are not rooting for um, wrestlers, they're rooting for the match and the whole fight forever thing and all that, I think Cody shows that there still is a way uh, to tell a story where you're rooting for someone, where where you are very much um, uh, emotionally invested in one wrestler beating another wrestler. Uh, and he's not the only one. You know, what, what they're doing at the NWA, uh, and the NWA, you know, again, much smaller niche stuff, uh, and, and the jury is still very much out. But I think over the last two months, what they've been doing with their show uh, every week is showing that, again, you, you, you can take a step back and go back to some of the foundation and put on a product that is compelling. Uh, you know, I don't know that, that I have been, and I don't even know what they're going to put on yet, but I'm probably as excited about the, um, the, the NWA pay-per-view they've got coming up uh, next month as any show I've been in a while because I'm so intrigued as to what that's going to look like. I agree. And uh, ironically, I mean, I, I know I am more than just a casual fan, so I'm not, so I'm in my wrestling bubble. But for me, the NWA show, Power, has become the, the weekly show that I most look forward to seeing. I, I will freely yep. admit that. And part of it is because it's so different. It's like they were, they were able to do this thing where it's like we're going to be nostalgic and we're going to like play off this whole like, look, the 80s are in now, Stranger Things and all that stuff and it, you know, we're going to do that. But we're also going to be fresh and new at the same time, just by virtue of the fact that no one has done this style of wrestling in so long. And I think it's, it's, been, it's been beautiful. I mean, it's not for every fan, I'm sure, but it's different. And it's something that plays to a segment of the audience that is not being catered to, you know, that kind of thing. And yep. I also want to say, too, about the Cody stuff that you mentioned. I mean, Jericho also deserves a lot of yep. credit for that because he is doing – believe it or not, some of the best work of his entire career since he has been there. I mean, the fact that he is a guy in 2019 getting genuine heel heat, like real heel heat. And when you see them, and not like I want to turn the channel heel heat, like actual heel heat. And when you see them in the ring, like like I, at the last AEW pay-per-view, when I watched Cody and Jericho in the ring, it's like I had this realization of like, oh my God, I'm watching a wrestling match right now. Like, yep. like the stuff that was before this, I didn't realize how unwrestling it was until I yeah. saw Cody yeah, well. and Jericho actually working a match. And I'm like, Oh, this is what wrestling is. I almost forgot for a second. Yeah. And, and Jericho is, is, and I agree that he's doing the best work of his career while at the same time, probably doing the least, um, at, at least physically in terms of, of his athleticism, uh, but but he's learned to maximize everything else, and yeah, it, it, I agree that, that this is some of the best work we've ever seen. And it, it with with Jericho, you know, pushing fifty years old, uh, he he's got that wisdom. He's got the thirty years of wrestling. With Cody, it's really amazing because you're talking a guy who is you know barely in his thirties. Uh, granted, he comes from one of the great wrestling families uh, of all time, so he he started his education early, but. Uh, Man, I just wish more people could be like like Cody, and not just wrestlers, but wrestling promoters would have 
uh, that mentality. I mean, I, I think right now that's the state of the art of, of how you do wrestling. Uh, oh, yeah, and no question. Hopefully it, it ushers the way for, for a new era. Uh, on the topic of, of NWA, uh, you know, Jim Cornette was in, in the news over the last week for all the wrong reasons. He's not with the NWA anymore, and he made a, a remark at uh, the, the top of last week's show that some people found, at the very least, uh, kind of insensitive and, and potentially racist. Uh, and uh, they put down an NWA issued an apology. Uh, Jim Cornette, known to be kind of the hothead, uh, resigned. Uh, shortly afterwards, I think it's a huge, huge blow. I mean, I think um, Jim Cornette was a big, big part of the appeal of that show and, and the credibility and kind of the link to the, the legacy of the NWA. Um, I, I, I honestly, I hope they can work this out and, and he is back because I don't know who filled it. it. It's not that you just need a good, there's no shortage of good wrestling announcers. I'm sure they can go and find someone uh, but it's not the same. Uh, I, I don't know that there's anybody who can do what Jim Cornette was doing. Right. And I know that even beyond the announcing, my understanding is he was also having a lot of input backstage on, on you know, the product and how to do things just on his experience and knowledge. He was kind of like a voice of reason. It is a big loss to the show. Um, I'm, I'm still going to watch, but I'm, I, and I, I listened to his podcast occasionally and I tuned in because I wanted to hear his response and it's different. Okay, so then if you heard that, I mean, it doesn't look like they're going to be patching things up. I mean, he he said himself that when when you've got to look, he is who he is. He he shoots from the hip. He says whatever he comes into his brain, and um, that's somebody in this climate, you know, who is going to be perpetually having to apologize. And I just don't think either side wants to be having to do that. Like he himself said, it's just not fun when you constantly have to do that. Um, and I'm sure that LaDonna and Corgan and those guys probably were getting tired of it. Cornette was getting tired of it. It's unfortunate. I hope, what I hope is that um, they can find somebody who is not just, a, nothing against Joe Galley, but who is not just another Joe Galley, like somebody who has the same you know, old school cachet that Cornette has, but who can also be a good commentator. I mean, I'm, I'm racking my brain. I'm, I'm sure there's names. Yeah. Like, they're all working for AEW. <laughs> right, because I would say, like, maybe Shivani, because he yeah. did the Crockett Cup with Cornette, but he's, you know, out of the picture. So, I mean, you know, Bob Cottle is 80,000 years old. I don't know. Unfortunately, <laughs> are, are, are dead or, or they're otherwise employed. Uh, who's the, the the guy? And he's not the, the, the best, but one person. Well, one person that came to mind was Mike Tanay. And that's not the, the – I don't know how good a fit he is, but at least he has that credibility. He doesn't really have the lineage with the old NWA, but um, it's somebody – who's the other guy who used to do announcing for, for Nitro toward the tail end? Oh, boy. I mean, I mean they had Scott Hudson. and yeah, that's um, Scott Hudson, yeah. Okay. Who, who uh, was, was good in his day. Uh, again, not not the same. I, I don't know if anybody is, is – you know, no. there's no other Jim Cornette out there. No, there isn't. I mean, he, he's such a quick wit. That's the thing. And, and he has so much this encyclopedic knowledge of wrestling. And I think the quick wit is both his greatest gift and his greatest curse because yeah. he's able to just rattle off one-liners and jokes and things at, at like a Bobby Heenan level, who, by the way, would never be able to work oh. today either, let's be honest about that. But, yeah. but he's able to just rattle off these lines and just – but because of that, there's no filter. You know what I mean? Like it's just flying out of his mouth and he's not thinking – he used the line that, 
you know, longtime fans probably know he used to use when he was a heel manager. He would use it for a Big Bubba Rogers, among other people. You know, it was it was an 80s reference to the starving Ethiopians that everybody used to see on the news all the time, which is in itself a dated reference because I think yeah. a lot of kids don't even remember or realize that, that for a lot of people of a certain age, when you say Ethiopian, the first thing that comes in your mind are starving children, you know, and I yeah. think he just didn't judge the room. That's the problem. Yeah, and, and ironically, like, you'd think that the one place that he would be employable would be the NWA because the shows are all pre-recorded, and and um, you could edit that stuff, and they should have edited that stuff. I mean, it, it's no, uh, not to give Jim Cornette a pass, but um, they really dropped the ball there, uh, uh, not covering him up, uh, because they they should have. I mean, it's the thing yeah. to go. They had months to do that, and uh, I don't know. It, it tells me a few things. It tells me, I mean, it's clearly obvious, one of two things. Either nobody there thought it was objectionable at, at all. It just kind of went over everybody's head, and they thought it was a throwaway line. Or um, somebody had it out for Jim Cornette and wanted yeah, it in there on purpose. I, can imagine. Yeah. I mean, uh, listening to his podcast, I did hold out a little bit of hope in that he, um, I think, was careful not to put down uh, Dave Lagana or the NWA as a whole. Um, right. All that much. I mean, clearly they, they're they're on different sides on this. But I, he was saying, if if you enjoy the NWA, you should still go uh, and check it out. So I don't know. Maybe there and, and and also there is the fact that he was never actually fired. I'm sure they weren't complaining that that he quit. Uh, but maybe there's a crack in the door there. But it's a good point that that this could and and will happen again because that's Jim Cornette. It sort of reminds me of when. Um, ABC brought back Roseanne Barr a couple of years ago, and it's you know you got to know who you're getting in, in into bed with, and uh, and then there's this shock when she goes on Twitter and says some stuff that was controversial. It's like, well, that's that's Roseanne Barr and that's Jim Cornette. So, um, but but again, the, the the format of NWA being taped, you think you'd be able to, to figure this out, <laughs> uh, but I guess not. So it's, it's too bad. Um, Anyhow, we've been talking now for uh, going on 40 minutes. Um, thank you so much, uh, Brian. Is there anything you, you, you want to promote? Well, actually, yeah. It's it's something that is not going to happen for another year from now, but I'm working on my next book. I'm currently working on it now. Um, it's a biography of the Sheik, the original Sheik from Detroit Wrestling, uh, who, who has never had a biography written about him, which I thought was – incredible and egregious and i thought it was something that i had to correct in my mind it's kind of like the mount everest of wrestling biographies because so little was known about the real human being behind the sheik and his life and all that which i'm trying to unearth now i've been talking to terry funk and kevin sullivan and all these great people that knew him and worked with him and worked for him and it's uh i'm going to be working on it for the next year it's supposed to be coming out probably early 2021 but i'll be keeping people posted on that the title of the book will be blood and fire the unbelievable true story of wrestling's original sheik yeah i mean we go back to talking about the heels and, and what real heels were uh they, they don't get more you know heelish than right. Yeah, wow, well, well, it's gonna be great. Uh, definitely looking forward to. It. All right, thanks so much, Brian. Thanks for joining me, uh, and hopefully we'll do it again soon. All right, thanks, Al. Take care. Okay, thanks, man. Bye bye. I want to thank Brian Salmon once again for joining me on the podcast. Always good catching up with him. 
Uh, be sure to check out his book when it comes out on The Sheik. You can also pick up uh, some of his older books at Amazon.com. Uh, that includes Wrestling Frequently Asked Questions and uh, the WWE Legends book. Right now, I want to take you to my interview with ODB. And if you want to support her efforts to get her food truck back up and running, you can go to Indiegogo. And uh, I think just search out uh, Help ODB Get Cooking Again, or just search ODB, and um, you will find it. I think as a, as of when I'm saying this, there's 11 days left uh, for her to reach her goal. She's already $30,000 uh, of the way to her goal of $50,000. So if you can, uh, jump on Indiegogo and give her a hand. Right now, let's hear from the former Impact Knockouts champion, ODB. Um, yes, I was just asking you about returning on Thursday and Friday here to, to New York. Is uh, It's been a while. I mean, is it going to be just like returning home, or do you think it's, I know it's changed a lot since you were last there? Oh my God. Yeah. I'm super excited. I mean, I haven't been, I haven't been to New York city in a long time. That's for sure. So I'm excited to see all the fans out there and with TNA impact or impact. Now I used to be TNA. (laughs) I just, it's it's going to feel good to go back home. I mean, that was, that what that has been my home and, you know, they helped me develop ODB and I thank them for everything. And I'm super excited to, uh, to be there this week and you never know you know I'm, i'll be br- i'll be bringing my wrestling gear just in case <laughs> i need to beat them bitches up <laughs> yeah so i mean i know they don't they don't run uh, a lot of shows uh these days so for them to forego the ticket revenue from a show to just turn over to you i mean I, when when you heard that was something that really touched you oh my god and they they actually called me last week and told me that i was like what i'm like are you for real i was like Holy crap! That that means a lot to me, and it it meant something. Now, you know where they look at me as you know one of the TNA originals, and it's uh, pretty damn cool when something you know bad happens to you, and then it it can turn into a really good thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you you mentioned um, you know that it feeling like home, and there aren't a whole lot of wrestlers that that can say that. I mean, there are a lot of wrestlers that kind of came of age in, in TNA, but might have had a history before that, you know, whether mm-hmm. it was Mel Joe or AJ Styles, um, or or maybe went on from there somewhere else and made a big name there. You really are kind of TNA born and bred, right? Is is that something that you wear proudly, that that really is kind of your home base? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I looked, they gave me an opportunity, you know, when no one else would. And they let me be me. And not many wrestlers can say that, you know. They didn't give me a character. I I was ODB. I still am ODB. And that, to me, is awesome. Yeah, we may have had our ups and downs throughout the years. But I've always, you know, was proud of, to be a TNA knockout. And, you know, yeah, I wrestled here and there for other companies. But TNA will all, yeah, hell yeah, will always be my home. And the doors have always been open. so. And I thank them for that and show them, you know, what I really mean to them now, you know, so it's pretty, yeah, it feels pretty damn good. Do you get defensive of of TNA when you hear folks uh, criticize them? I know over the years, less so with with this uh, group, this administration, so to speak, but certainly over the years, they've had their their detractors. Um, Did you feel like uh, the need to stand up for them? 
Yeah, I always hate when like people say, you know, oh, TNA is you know not no longer around, and I'm like, yes, it is. It's yes, the talent. You know, I mean, we're all getting older. You know, obviously the talent. You know, it's a different era now, and it's awesome. Those guys and girls are busting their ass to you know make impact. Awesome, and that it just, yeah, it does bug me because sometimes you know you hear a lot of people too like, oh, TNA sucks. We never watched it. Well, yeah, you did because. And, you know, when AJ Styles and Samoa Joe, you know, went to WWE, you knew who exactly who they were, you know? So, like, yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's, pro wrestling's awesome right now. I mean, there's so many big promotions out there staying alive and just more jobs for all the boys and girls, you know, I think. And great time to be a wrestling fan right now. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that impact, I mean, I think um... – I certainly feel this way, and I've heard a lot of others. I mean, the biggest thing they got going on right now is a woman in, in Tessa Blanchard. I mean, she's sort of the, the breakout star um, working in, in both divisions, maybe a top contender to their world championship, which I don't know that that's ever happened in, in an American wrestling company. Yeah. Um, what, what do you uh, see in her as one of the pioneers of, of the knockout division in women's wrestling and impact wrestling? Uh, what's your take on what Tessa's been doing uh, the, the last several months and years? Yeah, Tessa's a strong little bitch there. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, yeah, she has a lot of balls. Like, she's awesome. She's a great worker. I've uh, got to, um, you know, I have, me and her have never gotten in the ring together, but I've been on some shows with her, and I like her. She's young, she's hungry, and she's doing her thing, you know, and she's representing the girls' division. Awesome. I mean, there's a, she, has a, she has a big future in front of her, and it's just, Awesome. She's taken every opportunity that comes to her, and she's taken it. I mean, that's uh, pretty impressive to go after, you know, the heavyweight champ. I'm, I, mean, I don't know if I would do it, but uh, that's <laughs> I'll yeah. drink with the champ. But <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 I know back, that. back when you were active in there, were you ever? And, and again, you being a little a little rougher, tougher than maybe some of the other women from your age, were you ever kind of leveraging, pushing? Let me work with some of the men. Yeah, they actually, TNA actually let me kind of do that a lot, especially when me and EY got put together and, you know, right. we were, I was in the ring with some of the guys and it's, uh, especially with my style, I'm not the, you know, the best technical wrestler ever there, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, but I was a brawler, you know, I was just trained old school in Minneapolis and it was just, that's my style and I don't back down to nothing and. So when uh, it's believable, especially if you do put me in a ring, you know, with one of the guys and they're like, oh, shit, she can out drink his ass and probably beat his ass. <laughs> and they like it. <laughs> did, did, uh, what, what's your take on, on the whole idea of men working with women? It's something that's become a little more commonplace um, over, over the last several months. And there's always going to be some folks that are uneasy about it, you know, uneasy about a uh, a man getting physical with a woman. The flip side of that is I've heard, you know, women I've, I've talked to say that uh, it's a progressive thing to do to, to have women work with men. Are, are you okay with it? Yeah. You kind of look at it a little different. Like, yeah, I get the whole thing, you know, you know, men beating up women and, you know, all that stuff. But as long as it's believable, I mean, it's an entertainment and you gotta, you know, it's, and as long as long as it's done right, that's I always look at it. Um, so it's, but uh, yeah, I mean, I 
I think it's great as long as uh, a good storyline and it's, you know, going to come out good on the end and as long as they can just make it, you know, make it believable, you know, so. Yeah. What I've heard some women say is that for, for their own kind of advancement and evolution, it's always been better for them to work with men because you've, you've got more options, mm-hmm. especially if you're, you're newer and you're trying to learn. Um, you're really limited if you only have other women to work with. So when, when you were coming up, you know, how much were you working with men and, and were you comfortable doing that? Oh my God. My first like couple of years with working with men, I started out, you know, with Sean Devari and Ken Anderson. And it's like working with those guys, I mean, for a lot of years and it made me, you know, a better worker in the ring by working with a guy, you know, you just listen and do your thing and, Definitely. I, and then you learn how to tell a story, you know, it's a, it's kind of, you know, it's uh when you're put in those positions like that, it's like, you got to take the most of it. And it was, uh, oh my, I'm so glad I got to work with those guys in the beginning and taught me a lot my first couple of years. And I think it put a, I think it put me ahead of the other chicks, you know, just because if you're working the same chick and you're both don't know what the hell you're doing in there, you're not learning shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Did you sense, with um experienced guys? Yeah. Did you sense you were um, got any special treatment from them, or were they laying it in with you just as much as they would with another man? Oh no, I didn't get special treatment. And nope. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> you know when you're especially too, and I've had it even at TNA when I was put in a ring with you know certain guys, people are like, really, we really gotta you know work with her, or she's really gonna body slam me. I'm like, oh my god! Like it's, <laughs> yeah. I was in a couple of those situations. I'm like, you know what? Lay it in there, bitch. Lay it in there, you know. And even if it hurt, I just said thank you very much, and uh, you know, went off and had a beer after the match. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in 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 your era when you were uh, really uh, active in TNA, uh, this was still at least on on WWE side. And TNA was kind of ahead of the curve at the time, but at least on WWE side in terms of what most fans were being exposed to, women's wrestling, it was the, the you know, lingerie pillow fights and, and things <laughs> like that. Um, so, you know, are are you especially proud now to see how far women's wrestling in general has come, seeing women headline a WrestleMania? And, and do you feel like you were kind of at the forefront of that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when our knockout division was made in 2007, you know, and then Gail Kim being our first knockout champ. I mean, right there, we've definitely made history. And I think we opened up the door for a new uh, era in women's wrestling because we all were so different. You know, the beautiful people, Kong, me, Gail, Emmy, Tracy Brooks, Roxy. Like, all of us were, damn, it was just, it was cool because we all had characters. And you didn't see that, on you know, with the other company. And they actually gave us time. So that what they're doing now we kind of did back then, you know, because <laughs> like, can't believe it was like, you know, working 12 years ago already. Damn, I'm getting old. Uh, oh. <laughs> but it was, uh, well, that's going to be a part of history. You know, we made history back then. And then it was, uh, but now with these girls, I think it's freaking awesome, you know, headlining freaking WrestleMania. How cool is that? So I think every girl in every era should be proud because, they didn't get there, you know, they got there by all of us, you know, working together. And even if it doesn't matter what promotion you're in, you know, everyone's, everyone's watching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
and and besides just kind of the uh, the physical style, the other thing that that has changed, and I feel like come come closer to where you were at all those years ago, is just what uh, these women look like, right? I mean, they're uh, you, you stood out years ago, and now you see uh, even in WWE all different body types, different looks. They're yeah. not all lingerie models. Uh, again, something that that I imagine makes you proud to see them come to where you were all those years ago? Yeah, it is pretty cool to see. Well, now, yeah, it's, like, cool to see all these different type of chicks. You know, not everyone needs to be a skinny blonde with big boobs, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, so it's nice. It is nice to see, like, just different variety, you know, chicks, you know, that look a little rough on the edges, tattoos, you know, shaved heads and a little thicker. And it's I like seeing that because that's what, you know, young girls are looking at all of us, you know, so they they have uh, more variety to look at and cheer for and do for. And so, yeah, I think it's the women's division everywhere is awesome right now. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so catch people up. I mean, I don't think a lot of people uh, know what you've been up to and the story behind um, Impact coming to your aid here uh, with the show coming up. You, you've been working in, uh, in the food truck, right? You've been running your own food truck for a while. Yes, I started a food truck um, going on oh almost three years so, and I started it in Daytona Beach, and I've just been um, I've been rocking it. It's been it's been awesome. I mean, I've been traveling. I've been I'm based out of Minneapolis with the food truck, and then kind of traveling here and there, taking it you know to All In and at the Starcast, and um, just recently, about two months ago. I lost my food truck due to a fire. Um, pretty much everything blew up. Um, I don't know if you guys seen pictures out there. I mean, nothing got saved. But it was kind of, it was a little, uh, yeah, when I saw that, well, that night when I saw it literally burning up, and the next morning I was like, holy crap. I mean, every, I saved maybe, I think I had one hot sauce I grabbed out of the <laughs> oh my God. burning stuff. But it was, um. It was pretty devastating to see that because, I mean, that was my love for almost three years. And it was just starting to, you know, get bigger and bigger each year. And to see it all gone, I was like, oh, shit, like all that hard work. And But then it didn't, you know, it's not letting me down. It, you know, obviously my insurance um, didn't work out like I wanted it to. Um, so everyone's like, oh, didn't she have insurance? I'm like, of course I did. I'm a business. You know, you got to have insurance to be on the road. but you always got to look at those policies, to make sure you're yeah. covered for everything. And I was put on a shitty policy, so that, uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a whole another story on that one. But it's, uh, but then, but it's awesome though, because the wrestling world reached out. You know, the first person to reach out the very next day was DDP, and he's like, "I want to help you, kid." Um, and I'm not a person, you know, to put my hand out and, you know, expect people to help me out. And so when DDP reached out and he wanted to, you know, do a little Indiegogo and I give back, you know, people donate and then I give sauces, you know, phone calls out, um, eight by tens, pictures, in ring, you know, wardrobe. And so it's pretty cool like that. And then, you know, also Mick Foley's reaching out to me. And then when TNA did, I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. I didn't realize how much I was loved in this wrestling business. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's really touching. Was this pretty much kind of uh, your 
what you took your, your wrestling money and uh, did with it? I mean, this is kind of your next act working with the food truck? Yeah, because I started, so I got my own barbecue sauce right when I left TNA back in, I think it's 2014, I think was the last time I was signed with them. And when I left, as I was leaving, I um, got my own line of barbecue sauce and hot sauces. Well, then I had I bought an Airstream for my wrestling money and then uh, traveled the country and went to all these barbecue festivals and, you know, bike weeks. And I went to Sturgis, Daytona Bike Week, Texas, and just been traveling with that. And then um took a couple of years. And then after that, I was like, I'm going to do a food truck. And I just jumped right into it. I had no idea what the heck I was doing. <laughs> my first year was quite a shit show. <laughs> it was food truck, but I... So I sat down with some good people that helped me out and um, just made it more simple and made it, uh, you know, a cool-ass experience for people to come by. And obviously my wrestling, obviously, that's the big yeah. part of it. You know, I you know, call it the meet and greet. It's, uh, I always, it's, it's enjoy, you know, it's fun for people to still see me outside of wrestling. And yeah, I still wrestle, but the food truck was, you know, I just wanted to expand my brand way more and I, want to make my brand even bigger especially after all this and food truck is definitely going to be bigger and better and gonna be traveling a lot more than it used to so i'm excited yeah. for the excited for the new journey coming yeah yeah well that's great and it's, it's good as you touched on that uh you could know how much you were appreciated you know i i imagine you know uh ha- your your career mostly having been at least on a national scene and impact wrestling, uh, yeah, you might not have known how, maybe you were surprised to know how well you were known and how well you were appreciated, right? Yeah, especially just, I mean, especially with my career just being TNA, I wasn't, yeah. you know, I was never in WWE full-time or nothing, you know, I was in their developmental system, OBW, back in the day, but never made it that, you know, route, and it's pretty damn cool that where I'm just a TNA girl, you know, <laughs> to get, yeah. uh, to get all this out there is like, damn, that's pretty, pretty, yeah, it's pretty, it feels pretty damn good. <laughs> and, it, and it shows you that, you know, this is maybe sometimes understated, but the reach that TNA did have at its peak, right? I mean, I think that you, you see the numbers that Raw and SmackDown um, are doing these days in the 2 million range. Yeah. There was a time that TNA was doing that much, right? So, I mean, oh my God, yeah, we had very much a big league. Yeah. When we were on Spike TV, we were rocking it, you know, and it was so much, so many different talents, and a lot of that talent is still working, you know. They're all over, and AEW, Ring of Honor, WWE, I mean, they're they're everywhere. It's pretty cool that a lot of people came from TNA, a lot yeah. of people. What, what do you make of where they are now? I mean, obviously, it's a, a smaller operation now, but uh, it's funny. I was talking to somebody uh, a few weeks ago, and you're talking about how what, what TNA is doing now is really what what fans and kind of critics were calling for for so long. And that was built from within, kind of what they did with you, right? And and now that really is the whole product. For so long, including when you were there, it seemed like they were leaning so much on XWE talent, XWCW talent. And yeah. now, uh, now this really is, it's, it's a bunch of homegrown people. Um, I'm actually glad that that's what they're doing now. They're grabbing talent that, you know, you may have never heard of, and they're building talent. That's that's what I love, you know. Like, 
I love when people can be built. You know, there's a lot of people that were built from TNA, and now look at them. They're huge, you know, and it's, I like that they're doing it that way. You know, it's kind of nice because, yeah, it's fun to have, you know, people come in and out, you know, obviously to help them because a lot of those guys that came into TNA that were already big names, they helped a lot of us out, you know. Yeah. And it's, uh, you, you still need people like that, you know, to kind of keep it going. But it's, yeah, it's pretty cool when, and all those guys and girls should be, you know, proud of themselves for keeping it alive. And, you know, and it's, um, yeah, they definitely come a long way, you know, it's pretty, uh, pretty cool to keep watching it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking for a few minutes. I hope there's yeah. big turnouts, uh, this week, this week and, and, uh, you get that money for the truck. Uh, I appreciate yeah. you taking time here and we'll try to spread the word. Yeah. Thanks, Al. I appreciate it. Okay. Have a good one. All right. Take care. See ya. Bye-bye.